0: I found that there was an unreal amount of data, information and science supporting what we do, but it hadn't really been translated to action steps. So this is what's become ultimately my life work because I view the research as the content But how you deliver that is the context. Nobody cares about glucokinase increases with this, that, and the other thing for two seconds, right? But when you can understand how that affects quality of life. Welcome to the Marketing Your Practice podcast, where we guide natural health and wellness experts through the pitfalls of marketing. Each episode, you'll learn simple, effective, easily actionable, and heart-centered marketing strategies. And here's your host, Angus Pike.
1: Well, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome to the Marketing Your Practice podcast. You are in for a real treat today. Now, today's guest is an author, a speaker, and a founder. Now, we're gonna be talking with Dr. Jeffrey Langmaid. Now, Jeff is dedicated to helping chiropractors achieve more in practice. Now he's the founder of The Evidence-Based Chiropractor, he's the co-founder of The Smart Chiropractor, and he's an author behind Marketing Chiropractic to Medical Doctors. Now he's got a great podcast and social media presence that has him one of the most followed chiropractors in the world. Now today we're gonna to be chatting with Jeff all about how to use research to fuel your marketing. So Jeff, welcome to the Marketing
0: Your Practice podcast. Thank you very much. I am pumped to be on. We've known each other for quite a while, so it's, I'm happy to connect on the podcast, answer some questions and see if we can help some docs out there.
1: Yeah, well, we met in sunny Puerto Rico many years ago and uh, met sitting around a swimming pool and drinking pina coladas or something <laughs> similar anyway, too. And hey, listen, Jeff, for those of our guests that haven't drunk pina coladas with you, can you give them a bit of a background story? What is it that brought you to kind of where you are right now?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So like many people, it was personal experience. So I got involved with chiropractic and personal experience. My father, uh, when I was growing up, I was always interested in the healthcare field. And I actually thought I might wanna be a surgeon. I didn't know any different, it seemed interesting to me. I actually did my fifth grade presentation on endoscopic knee surgery. Long story short, I was geeking out on this stuff way, real young. But my dad ended up hurting his back when I was in college. And when I went home for a school break, my dad you know, hurt his back quite bad, had pain down the leg, a whole radiculopathy, disc issues, everything. He got well with chiropractic. And he said, man, when you come back for Christmas break, you should meet this chiropractor. You just, you're you going to meet him. And uh, I met him and he was the alumni director for Palmer uh, in, in Iowa. And he said, what are you thinking about for your life? I said, I don't know. He said, well, have you ever thought of being a chiropractor? And that's what started the journey. Now, as I learned more about chiropractic, I started to discover it fell in line with what I already thought and believed more than I knew existed. I just had never had the exposure before. Lo and behold, the story comes full circle. I come to find out down the road, my great-grandfather was a chiropractor who studied under BJ and graduated in the 1920s as one of the first chiropractors in the state of Rhode Island here in the United States. States. So long story short, personal experience mixed with, uh, I guess, happenstance and a little bit of good luck mixed in.
1: Yeah, wow, what a journey up until into, uh, to the, that's a long way from, I'm still trying to get my head around a grade five student, uh, you know, wanting to do a report on endoscopic knee surgery.
0: I mean, <laughs> yeah, at, let's at, put it this way, I'm glad I didn't go that direction. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, I, I was obsessed with my BMX at that stage, so uh, nothing is <laughs> impressive at, at, at my end. Hey, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today about this concept of research and marketing because there's a little bit of a juxtaposition through there in terms of one of these things that's often the softer side of practice, you know, marketing and, you know, this science and, and to build a bridge between the two, because they're the two of my great loves. I've always been a bit of a science geek, and particularly the research in chiropractic. I've been involved in uh, you know, research boards at Australian Spinal Research Foundation. And then I've also been a lover and a student of marketing as well. But they don't, for many people, fit kind of hand in glove. So tell us all about it. What brought you to this kind of link? And I know you teach you know, hundreds of docs how to do this. So tell us about this world.
0: Yeah. So to me, it comes down to a few different things. Uh, I guess I'll give a little bit of history and how I ended up you know, melding the two, and then we can dive into the practical application. So lo and behold, I was an associate doc. I had my own practice, and I was able to do whatever I wanted marketing-wise. Fast forward, and I actually joined a multidisciplinary group that had various docs, and it was a large group. And basically, when I joined that group, they were saying, we do the marketing here, pal. You can't just do whatever you want. So I you know, to condense the story down. I said to myself, well, if I can't get out in the community, I better build bridges with the other docs that I'm practicing with internally. So I started to go to spine conference, grand round speak with them and realize that they were making a lot of their clinical decisions based off of what they were reading in the literature. That was the first light bulb to me that said, hey, there might be a link here between bridging the gap, having a better understanding with the docs that I'm working with, by showcasing the positive chiropractic research that's out there. Now, at the time, I was one of those people who probably hadn't looked at PubMed since I had graduated chiropractic school, but lo and behold, once I dove in, I found that there was an unreal amount of data, information, and science supporting what we do, but it hadn't really been translated to action steps. So this is what's become ultimately my life work because I view the research as the content but how you deliver that is the context. Nobody cares about glucokinase increases with this, that, and the other thing for two seconds, right? But when you can understand how that affects quality of life, when you can understand what the literature is supporting in terms of the benefits you can offer the people in your community, whether it's safety, whether it's efficacy, whatever the case might be, now you're, now you're on to something. And throughout my career, I've looked at that in multiple ways. One way is with... Healthcare providers, how do we use research to bridge the gap? I don't care if it's a medical doctor, MD, DO, midwife, doula, anybody who's seeing the other you know, the people in your community that you could also be seeing. Those healthcare providers, no matter what type of practitioner you are, no matter what type of chiropractor you are, you should be getting out there and reaching out. And then the consumer side as well individuals like to see support. They like to know that they're going in somewhere. Referrals are one thing, but when you can spread a message that's science supported, it makes everything else downstream just that much easier.
1: Yeah. So I kind of wonder this. So we've got not just chiropractors listening to us now, Jeff, there's Chinese med practitioners, there's naturopaths. So we've got a lot of this kind of complementary practitioners. And I wonder, because is there two different conversations? If I'm wanting to begin a conversation to start referral pathways happening between traditional healthcare. do I need to communicate them in a different way than I do, for instance, to, directly to my community? What, what have you found with regards to that?
0: Yeah, there definitely are some differences. I want to be super clear about this, though. It doesn't mean changing your message. As a healthcare provider, you want to find the right dance partners, and not everybody's going to be that right dance partner, and that's A-OK. So as you reach out to other healthcare professionals, I know for some providers, that can be intimidating almost. It's like, I don't know if I want to get out of my comfort zone. What are they going to think of me? What do I say? All of that. But don't worry about that. You want to find those individuals, those other healthcare providers that resonate with you. That's why I don't care about what letters are after their name, because that's going to depend upon you and your practice and your goals. But to answer your question specifically, I'll use an example of let's say a spinal disc issue, right? So if you're communicating uh, the latest research on a spinal disc to another healthcare provider, you might be more technical. You might be talking about, for instance, you know, what we've discovered with cervical radiculopathy is with X amount of care, we see this percentage of improvement. That's gonna speak to some uh, healthcare professionals, right? It's technical, it's getting into the nitty gritty. Whereas from the consumer side, you might take that same information, but recontextualize it, the context, right? And say, is your arm pain coming from your neck? Well, now you've started that conversation in a consumer-friendly way where you can talk about the disc and a radiculopathy in a way that's not intimidating, that's not overbearing and not over the head of the audience. It might still stem from the same paper, but how you approach those conversations may be different depending upon your audience
1: yeah i i see i've employed uh loads of new graduates as associates over the last kind of 20 years and we graduate full of all these big impressive words and many of them are quite young and one of the way they want to show how clever and mature they are is by using all these big words and what they don't realize is that often that has the exact opposite impact um you know that we want it to 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 have the end result we want to do is kind of communicate and build a relationship so where where do we find the research what kind of research works best Um, you know are there if we're communicating because I'm thinking if I'm communicating with the local medical doctors then they might have more of a concern in around safety and efficacy but I guess my community's got that same kind of thing are there slight differences other than the language that we use
0: yeah, I think the approach, so for instance, I'll give an example. When, when we teach docs to talk about reaching out to other healthcare providers, we talk about doing it through three major channels. You gotta build your target list and go through that. But then from there, we like to communicate through case notes, through research, updates and through meetings. So case notes is updating those other healthcare providers that you're co-managing the patient with. Whether they know it or not, it doesn't mean they've referred in, but if you're co-managing the same patient, it's a great idea to send a case note because it shows the social proof that you co-manage and that you exist. It also shows the great results. I view a case note as a patient-centric testimonial. As long as you have that patient permission, you want to get those out there. Showcase the great results that you're getting to the other healthcare providers. The other aspect is research. That's the controllable asset. So for for reaching out to other healthcare providers, again, we talk about giving a research brief and a research update, just one page, breaking down one study. You don't want to punish these guys and gals and send them the whole darn study and people, oh my gosh, this sounds like work. But just a simple update that has your name and logo on it monthly, that's something you can control. Your case notes will ebb and flow with who walks in your front door, but you can control that you get your name top of mind in front of these individuals once a month. And then meetings, build rapport, understand what they what they currently do with the patients that might be a great fit for your practice. That sort of understanding and approach is what works very well with other healthcare providers. Where the consumer aspect, we're going to go more towards using your platforms, patient handouts. You're going to talk, we're talking then social, right? Getting out there on Facebook, doing live videos if you're so inclined. Use utilizing email, so it's using some of the assets slightly different form and using them in ways that resonate with whatever audience it may be. So that, that would be a, that's a simple short breakdown. We can go into any of the weeds that you want.
1: Yeah, well, let's because I, I I I'm feeling myself getting quite excited here because I love this. My wife is the master at doing the first one of those that you talked about. So she'll have a patient. She's a chiropractor too. Um, for the listeners that don't know, Lauren, and she'll have a patient that's coming in, and she asks them, "Who is your your caring doctor, your GP?" And then she says, "Hey, would you like me to write them a note updating of what we're doing with your care here, letting them know what our goals are?" Um, you know, it's something similar to that, and. Nine out of 10 patients say, yes, absolutely. She writes this lovely detailed note. And time after time, she gets this feedback that when they're at their general practitioner, what we tend to call them here in Australia, Jeff, Mm -hmm. is they go, oh, my God, your chiropractor is so thorough. She sounds amazing. And invariably over time, when they get two or three letters for Lauren, um, you know, the referrals start flowing into it. Yes, it takes a little bit of time, but, but not much for the return on it. So are there things in those letters? What should I include in those letters? How long should they be? Do you have other things to help us kind of maximize that process,
0: first of all? Absolutely. So from a case notes perspective, it can vary a little bit depending upon the type of provider that you're reaching out to and the location that you're in. So there's not one size fits all, but what we have found to be successful are in a case note to have four key items patient name, date of service, diagnosis, and treatment plan. In the real world, we could say that. Who'd you see? when did you see him? And what'd you find? What are you going to do, right? Yes. So, you know, patient name, date of service, diagnosis, and treatment plan. If you can display those items, then you start to be able to give that other healthcare provider the gist of it. Oh, great. Angus saw Jeff two weeks ago for a, you know, a headache, and he was going to see him X amount of times. If that doc can pick up and read that that quickly... That's a great opportunity for the next time I'm in his or her office for them to say, "Hey, how you doing over there?" And as the healthcare provider, as you in this case, you know there's a ninety-plus percent chance that I'm going to be saying, "It's awesome," which is the, which is the feedback that you want. The one caution that I give to docs when they reach out is you want to be you want to be thorough, as you said. That's a great word to utilize but don't be too long-winded. If you're sending a 10-page note with every orthopedic test that you've ever learned, it's overkill. I use the example as the GP doesn't care about what size screw a surgeon uses in an emergency case. He cares about who's the patient that was in the emergency and what, you do, what was the gist of what you did to get them moving in the right direction. So don't get caught up in every minutia of what you do as a healthcare provider if you're a chiropractor or a naturopath, but get the point across. Keep it patient-focused. Keep it patient-centric. Who's the patient? When did they come in? What did you find? And what do you intend on doing to get them on track? If you can hit those four items in your case note, you're going to be doing wonders as far as getting out and starting what I call those patient-centric testimonials.
1: Got it. So what I'm hearing, Jeff, is it's not essential that in those case notes that I'll be putting five or ten references of the safety and efficacy of what I'm doing. Keep it short and sweet but thorough and to the point. that, that sound like a reasonable summary?
0: Absolutely. I like to split those. so that's where my research my monthly touches with my research are going to be the supporting on the efficacy, the safety. All of that what I'll call more hard research is going to go into my monthly research updates. I can make a very thick line. My case notes, I like to keep them patient-focused, patient-centric, get out in quantity every time I'm examining or re-examining a patient, not dailies, by the way, but I send on examination and re-examination or eval and re-eval, depending upon which way you put it. That's when I'm getting those out as much as I can, and then I am cyclically one time per month just dripping that research. It might be one paper with efficacy. It might be one paper with the latest trends. It might be the next paper with safety. But that's where I'm accumulating that knowledge. I like to keep those very different so I can control each message as they go out.
1: Yeah, and so I hope our listeners are not getting stuck. I know we're talking a little bit sort of chiropractic centric here, but whether you be a naturopath, a dietitian, whether you be a you know a myotherapist, whatever it is, think about how you could communicate. Because you know most of our listeners, the gateway of the healthcare system tends to still be traditional healthcare. It's it's our GPs, our general practitioners, our doctors, those kind of things. And as what I liked with Jeff saying, this is not about selling your soul to them and trying to communicate, you know, be proud of who you are and what you have to offer and communicate in a mature way. Now, with regards to sending those research articles, you find a great research article. Are you summarizing that at all? Are you literally just photocopying and sending that to them? Is, is there, what goes along with that article that you might send them?
0: That's a great question. And let me touch on something but before I dive in. You, and you just said it right there. Regardless of what type of healthcare provider or complementary care provider you are, All I want you to think about to start this process is what other care providers are seeing my ideal patients or clients? Those individuals are the people you want to communicate with. It might be people more in the fitness industry. That's A-OK. You know, there, there's a lot of, there's a wide berth here. Just going to sit down and think about, hey, where do my people hang out, right? You know, where are my ideal clients and patients? Who are the people that they're already seeing? And that is the, those are those complementary care providers, those healthcare providers, no matter which way you slice it, no matter what their initials are after their name, even if they have any. Those are the people where you can have a professional communication to. That's B2B marketing, right? Business to business. You're not blasting out to the consumer. We can talk about that in a few minutes. This, what we're talking about and focus on right now is business to business, provider to provider, regardless of what type. But to answer your question on the research, I recommend a summary approach. So no, we do not just photocopy and blanket it because I made the joke earlier, but you don't want to punish these guys and gals that are like, man, this guy just sent me homework. You want to keep it easy, keep it light reading, keep it engaging. I like to be educa- you know, educational, engaging, and, uh, you know, and entertaining. That's really where you want to be. So we recommend the format we use is in the header, we have the name and logo. So your name and logo front and center, right at the top. Then I have a big citation of the single paper. I also don't try to cover 27 papers in one little summary. I take one paper that I'm gonna to choose to highlight, I make a nice big citation at the top, I give two or three paragraphs, small, two or three lines each, so maybe eight sentences about the context. Why did I like this? Why should they be interested in it? What's it mean? I pull two or three quotes from it, put that right there, I make a little chart at the bottom, and that's it. So I have a one-page PDF, a one-page sheet, that they can read in less than two minutes, has my name front and center, nice, clean design. Don't try to get every, don't, you know, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. As I say, you don't have to do every single thing in one. Let one piece do one job one time per month and you got next month for the next opportunity. So keep it simple.
1: Yeah. And so Jeff, would you send this to, because most practices have multiple doctors in there. Are you just sending it to the practice? Are you sending it to each
0: uh, individual, what's the best way to get that information out there? Each individual. So I want you to think of if you send it to everybody in a practice, that means you send it to nobody. Mm. So if it just goes to the practice in general, you know, the front desk individual or male person is going to pick it up and say, practice in general, that probably means the circular file next to my desk. That's garbage. <laughs> you don't want it to go there. But when you make it out to a specific person, it's nearly always going to get to their desk. That's regardless of whether it's a gym or a healthcare practice, right? If you make it out to the gym at large, maybe the general manager is going to see it. But if you're trying to build a relationship with that personal trainer, you want to put his or her name on it. Same thing holds true in a healthcare provider office. Make it out to those individuals. Don't blanket it to everybody.
1: Yeah, got it. And I would imagine like many of these things in kind of direct mail, if you can kind of handwrite the envelope, the more specific and personal you can make it, the better chance it is to be uh, opened. When you're first sending this out and you're sending it to somebody for the first time, is there anything that you do with the first one that goes out? I'm just thinking if I happen to be a kind of general practitioner and I got one of these kind of out of the blue from Jeff, never heard of him beforehand, it might be a little confusing for me. So is there a way to begin that relationship?
0: Yeah, we have what we call the, an icebreaker letter specifically for that purpose, where that's the initial letter that you would send to your target list. So after you build your target list of maybe, we recommend about 50 people. If you're going to do what I'm going to call B2B marketing, right? You want to get out there with the other you know, providers, healthcare providers at large. we like to have a list of about 50 of them. That seems to be enough of a net to catch some fish because you're not going to resonate with every single person, right? So about 50 people that is in your active communication. You know, Those are the 50 people that are getting the research each and every month. The first time that you send, we love talking about sending an icebreaker letter. And the icebreaker letter simply introduces who you are, what you're about, and what you intend to do. So for instance, for me, it would be, you know, hi, this is, you know, Jeff Langmaid with Langmade Chiropractic. You know, we are really focused on X, Y, Z. We've worked with X, Y, Z. And, you know, the benefits that many of our patients receive are X, Y, Z. Now, I'm reaching out to you today because, you know, we're making, a, I'm paraphrasing and going off the cuff right here, but, you know, it would be something to the effect of then the next steps, right? You know, we're making an effort to reach out to the other providers in our community, so you're going to be seeing updated case notes for anybody that we co-manage, and one other thing that we love to do for our referral partners is update you with simple, actionable pieces of research that you'll see around the first of every month labeled from our office. We'll also reach out in a couple of weeks to see if we can chat, learn more about what you guys are up to, and see if there's any you know any way we can help you in your practice and that's the third part of that cycle right case notes research and meetings so I'm preemptive that I'm gonna give a call in a couple weeks to set up a meeting so that icebreaker letter sort of sets the stage for who you are what you like to see and what you're about in the next steps that you're going to be you know doing with them so to speak
1: Yeah, and I want our audience to kind of catch on that because there's a couple of parts of Jeff's language there that were really important when he's saying, I'm going to reach out to you and see how we can help you. You know, we've talked lots on this show in the past. You know, every week I will have some practitioner come around to my practice who'll hand over a business card and say, hey, listen, I'm a new naturopath in town. Can you send me some patients? I'm a new, you know, massage therapist. And and I'm like, "I, I don't know you at all. You're dropping a business card off and now you want me to build your business? Ain't gonna happen. But if they came in, and every now and then, I will get a savvy practitioner who'll come in, who'll wanna know more about me, and their question is this, Angus, I wanna find out what kind of patients you'd like me to refer to. Now, all of a sudden, that starts a different conversation, and that's the angle where Jeff has gone through. So rather than kind of reaching straight out to you, local doctors and saying hey listen I want to have a meeting with you and meet with you you can see how much Jeff has built knowing liking and trusting going through this so let's talk more about that third phase of hopefully getting a meeting with them and sit down
0: face to face yeah yeah so getting a meeting doesn't happen with everybody right that's why you have a list of 50 and not three (laughs) because you want you know it's going to take some time and there will be a lot of follow-up but when you can have that meeting, I am just so big on the fact of a meeting should never be about selling your service or selling yourself. A meeting should really be focused upon learning as much as you can about the other healthcare provider's practice. And that's beneficial in a couple different ways. And I want to, it's nuanced, but I want to split that down. Number one, keep in mind the power that you have as a healthcare provider. I like, I like to go into other healthcare providers. I want to know where my patients shouldn't go just as much as I know where I will refer them. So I mean that in earnest when I'm going in and asking these other providers, I don't care whether you have had one new patient last month or 100, the onus is on all of us to be patient-centered. And when our patients ask us whether it's one, 100, or 1,000, hey, where should I go for this service? I want to be able to give them an educated uh, assessment. And I want to be able to give them as close as I can to firsthand knowledge of, hey, I've met them, I would go here myself. Or I want to be able to steer them clear. If they're going to go somewhere and I say, you know, you you can go wherever you'd like. Let me tell you a little bit about my experience with that practice. That's a little bit of defense, right? Because now, you know, they're not going to go somewhere of somebody that doesn't like you. But it's also offense and good patient-centered care to guide people in the right direction. But to kind of tie it back specifically to your question as far as the meeting is concerned, I use a Socratic approach with every meeting. It's not about sales. It's about understanding. And about asking three key questions. Now these are a little bit Cairo specific, but I think the big takeaways everybody will understand. Mm-hmm. I always, you know, kind of coach my docs on saying we want to get to three questions. You know, are you seeing a lot of spine or musculoskeletal complaints or patients or people? And that could be in, insert whatever type of patient you'd like to see, right, or client or patient. So are you seeing a lot of the same person that I'd like to see, basically? But name name the challenge. Number two is what are you seeing more of? Have them dive a little bit deeper what are they seeing more of younger people older people you know what you know in terms of challenges what are those people that's this is diving deeper getting them talking about their practice and then number three what do you like to do for these people understanding what their current number one options are in treatment protocols gives you an incredible amount of knowledge to know how you can position yourself appropriately and that is something i think so many docs miss out on is asking the simple question of hey, what do you like to do for those people? What's your current protocol for care? Because once you understand that, you again have so much power to be able to then say, hey, okay, I understand what you're doing, But let me inform you of a challenge that you might be experiencing and how we've helped other practices overcome that challenge. Mm. This starts to frame it in a whole different way as opposed to what I say, going in and telling them everything they never wanted to know about chiropractic.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so I would imagine, Jeff, that when when you're asking people, you know, how they're currently managing them, they're coming back with some kind of either pharmaceutical or surgical intervention. So when they come back with that, it, 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 so look, you know, we so if we stuck with kind of a spinal type sort of thing that, you know, it's some kind of opioid or anti-inflammatory and/or referral over to to specialist. So what's, you know, how do I then engage with that response?
0: Yeah. You are on it because you just got two of we always train on three responses you're always gonna get drugs and medications, physical therapy referrals, physiotherapy referrals, or specialist. So you yes. got two out of the three right off the bat. You're experienced. So, so for, let's say the medication one. So let's say they start with NSAIDs, which is very common, right? I'm not going to say, you're not guide- you're guideline discordant. Are you crazy? That's not a great way to start building a relationship. But I also don't have to agree with it. So here's what I might say. If you say to me, hey, we usually start our patients by treating in-house with medications and NSAIDs and seeing what happens. I might say something like, a lot of our referral partners have started out the same way, but they get really frustrated with the patients that have GI and heart complaints that are unable to take those medications. They love to look towards our office to start those patients conservatively. So that would be a simple way where I'm basically saying, I understand what you're doing. It's not my first rodeo. Here's a challenge you might be having, and we're happy to help you with that challenge. And that's a different thing because, again, now, there is more there than just that. But I want everybody to remember, before you get 100 referrals from a practice, you need to get one. Yes. So the more linear you make that first, the more they understand that first patient that they could send over to you, the better off you're going to be. And that is really the key that we found to relationship building is it starts small. It starts with a conversation. It starts with an understanding. And that seems to be a good way to at least start the conversation with NSAIDs. And medications
1: yeah and it follows one of those great relationship uh, rules of never make the person you're talking to wrong um, it, it just doesn't go great and if I have to choose out of me being wrong and or me making you wrong then most times I'm gonna make you wrong before I make me wrong so I like the way that when we can agree and 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 move into that too I love it, I love it, I love it. Jeff, let's jump into the other side of things there too, because I know our listeners are gonna to wanna to go, okay, look, I wanna head down this path of communicating straight to my community. So we've talked about how to build professional relationships for those kind of three strategies of the case notes, the research that we're sending monthly, and then the meeting. Okay, what if I wanna go straight to my customer, straight to my community, where does that begin?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So. Number one is meeting them where they're at, right? And for many people, that involves the social platforms. So, of course, there is always direct mail and radio and television. That's not my forte, so I can't really speak to that. But there's plenty of people across your social channels, whether that's Facebook, whether that's LinkedIn, whether that's Instagram, or what many healthcare providers and, you know, complementary care providers of all kinds miss out on communication with your inactive people. Your inactive patients and clients should be getting weekly touches from you so you stay top of mind to them so if and when they're ready to come back in, you're not competing with everybody else on ad spend, you're the name they know, trust and like, and you haven't fell off the planet for the last five years. Mm. That is a huge area of opportunity, so we can go either direction, either into the social platforms, how to get out there, or with the inactive patients through email, both are super important. Hey, let's begin with the inactive clients.
1: Because I want to just remind, and for so many conversations that I'm having with people, when we think about the inactive clients, we think that they stopped coming to see us because they stopped liking us. And it's flat out not true in the vast majority of cases, unless you're some kind of sociopath that's listening to this at the moment most of the time that people stopped coming to see you, is they just got busy and distracted. That, that's my experience. And having worked with hundreds of, of, of docs through this and or they got great results, they were happy, they felt like you solved their current problem um, and then they just stopped. Is that your experience, Jeff?
0: Absolutely. I mean, think about it. The amount of time that you spend with a patient or a client might be five minutes, 15 minutes. It's less than an hour very typically. So what do they do in the other 23 hours? The other week, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in, in people's lives. And that's no, that's nothing wrong with any provider. They came in, they chose you. The amount of great results that the listeners probably get out there, you know, are fantastic. And the percentage of people is super, super high. Things happen in life. So that's why it's so important to keep that communication ongoing. And quite frankly, sometimes it's just a miscommunication. You think, you know, the patient comes in, the client comes in, they don't know anything. That's a scary situation. Nobody likes to go to a, a new provider or a new place of any kind. You know, there's fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. So while you think you're, I explained everything perfectly fine to them, That yeah. you, there's a power dichotomy there. So being able to touch them when they're, when they're outside of your office through email is so, so important because that's on their terms. They yes. get to you know, digest it, dive into it, take a look at it, as opposed to that pressure cooker that's a practice. Even in the most de-stressed practice, it, you know, there still is a level of professionalism, competence, and people are trying to get through their day, right? Uh, and the ability to communicate with people when they're outside your four walls expands your ability to expands your message, and expands your impact.
1: Yeah, got it. And so you like to use email to do that. So again, I've, you touched on before that we should be reaching out uh, once a week with a message. What should be in those messages? Can you share perhaps some of the platforms that we might be able to do that might make that a little easier for us as, as well? So platform and content and frequency.
0: Yeah, so I like to talk about three specific campaigns that all providers should have. One email campaign is onboarding. Are you saying welcome the first day? Are you following up and addressing any frequently asked questions? Are you emphasizing the plan of care that you've laid out? So an onboarding email campaign is one campaign that is crucial. The second one is what you talked about, Angus, which is very important. That's that long-term drip or nurture as we call it in the marketing world. That's a once a week touch as long as they're still alive on planet earth and still on your list, right? So that is a forever touch point with those individuals who come on. And we'll talk about uh, the specifics of that in one moment. And then the third one, I always like to have an optional events. So for online workshops or offline, you know, workshops in the office, I like to have a short events sequence that I can always dive into. So those are the onboarding, long-term drip and nurture, and your events are the three three sequences I recommend all providers have because you're just going to get use out of them constantly. Now, as far as that weekly piece, I like to keep it educational, engaging, and actionable, you know, kind of the same things we were talking about earlier. So I might, I'm going to start by crafting a nice compelling headline. For instance, we talked about it earlier. A great subject line might be, is that arm pain coming from your neck in the instance spinal that we were discussing earlier? Well, I don't know that I'm going to, but The whole point of the subject line is to get the person to open the email. That doesn't mean scammy. It doesn't mean cheesy, but that's the one thing to keep in mind. So that's probably going to get some opens. Then as you dive in, we like to format our emails in terms of what we call research that matters. So what's the research and why does it matter to them? So we break down some of the key points. We break down a little bit of why it matters and a little bit about next steps. So, in the, so we might just have a couple short paragraphs, you know, not too long. You're not trying to write the next, you know, great novel there. So you might just have a couple lines saying, did you know, you know, that, you know, arm pain can come from your neck? I might give a fact or two. You know, there are spinal discs that allow all of this wonderful motion, but if that disc presses up against the nerve, sometimes that can cause pain down your arm, just being casual and engaging. And then I might break down a fact or two and then next steps. So there's always going to be a subtle call to action at the end. That call to action could be something as simple as, if you or someone you know has experienced this, don't hesitate to give our office a call today. Or it could be something like if you're trying to grow your YouTube channel, you know, check out our video explaining this in detail by clicking here. And then it gets done. So you can go a variety of different directions with that. I'm going off and getting really nuanced on this. But there's a lot of different directions you can take. But basically, have a great subject line, teach a little bit, and make sure that you have a nice call to action. That's the key aspects of that long-term drip sequence. Everything doesn't need to be a fire sale. You don't need to throw a million coupon codes in there. Just keep it educational, engaging, and professional.
1: Yeah, Jeff, where do you suggest that people come up with content ideas for these emails?
0: Yeah, so there's a a lot of great resources. There's a lot of great resources out there. One great way to do it is, you know, if you want to be a little bit covert and a little bit like a spy, so to speak, in a good way, is to, you know, subscribe to the email uh, newsletter of a practice or a person who you respect. Maybe there's a healthcare influencer out there. Maybe there's somebody else even in town, a competitor, and you are saying, man, they're doing something good over there. I want to see what they're up to. Get on a few different people's email list and see how they do things. That's just such a great, great way to learn.
1: And, of course, what Jeff is saying there is to use that great skill called modeling, which is different from Copying or plagiarism. Okay, plagiarism and copying sucks, but modeling is what the best in the world do, whether you be an athlete, whether you be a scientist. And again, in this case, you know, searching for inspiration around, I think that's a really great idea um, as as well. So we've got that weekly email sort of heading out where we're sharing content, a really nice little uh, call to action as well. Is that something that you suggest people automate, or is that just a weekly task that you suggest that your doctors do?
0: Yeah, I love automation because an automation, for any docs that don't know, automation is simply, I think of it like a magic elf that keeps things going. So an automation means this, is that you'd have your email set up and lined up and you would just upload that person's email address one time and they'd get forever emails in perpetuity at that one, in this case, that one time per week. So you don't have to dive in there every week and send it to Joe and Nancy and Jeff and type in their email address. No way, the tools out there make it super easy to upload that email address one time, set it and forget it, and then those things can pump out in perpetuity. So as far as platforms are concerned, there are a bunch of different competitors, Constant Contact, Aweber, MailChimp, Infusionsoft, you name it, you know, ConvertKit, there is a vast array of, uh, of email providers out there that all kind of do the same thing. There's some differences, but they all kind of do the same thing. Now, in terms of the content itself, that's where a lot of docs get tripped up on. And, that, and that's something that I think the modeling, as we discussed, is a great way to look at it or look in your industry because it's just about in every single industry out there, regardless of what kind of healthcare provider you are or um, a practitioner you are, there's probably somebody, a service in your field that has that content pre-built and pre-loaded to enable you to put it on autopilot even easier.
1: Yeah, Jeff is being very humble here. I was watching to see if was... <laughs> Jeff has let's talk about it now you've delivered great value now is fair enough to talk about because there's really kind of three different products that you have to help with all of this kind of stuff you know it's true as a chiropractor I could do my accounting and I could wash my front windows I could do all these kind of things there but I choose to have people help me out with these things as, as well Jeff can you tell our audience you know there's kind of three ways that certainly that you can help people with the implementation of a lot of these things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, a lot of this goes back to what we've been talking about. It's why I'm so passionate and just can go off. I mean, we could spend three hours, five hours, or more on every single one of these, uh, of these topics because it's what I live and breathe every single day. So, with what we call the evidence based chiropractor, the evidence based chiropractor is that full service solution to build relationships with other healthcare providers. So, that is if you are a doc out there that wants to bridge the gap and reach out to other healthcare providers in your community, we've helped hundreds of docs generate tens of thousands of referrals. I think we have docs across four continents right now. So, you know, Antarctica is excluded and maybe one or two others, but um, you know, but we have docs around the world utilizing the evidence-based chiropractor to reach out and we give system report, you know, the whole system report templates, guides, modules, and that weekly, or excuse me, monthly research to get out there all in your customized template. We take care of all the backend work for that. So that's been super valuable throughout time. But as you can imagine, as years went on of us doing that, we started to hear exactly the question that you asked earlier, but what about the consumer side? What about the people in my community? And that's where we developed the smart chiropractor. The smart chiropractor is the consumer side, still research-based and evidence-informed, but it's all of the social components, social media graphics, video scripts, videos done for you, patient education, handouts, the whole kit and caboodle that takes place within the smart chiropractor. So if you've struggled with the time it takes to write the content, which I know almost every doc out there does, or the exact strategy to implement it, smart chiropractor is definitely something you'd want to take a look at. And finally is the email solution, which we call Cairo emails. That's the full-scale automation. We build out all three of those campaigns that we talked about about and then we preload all of the content in so you don't have to worry necessarily even about modeling anything else we build it in there all for you so actually Cairo emails is included in the smart chiropractor smart chiropractor is super robust but we know there's some docs out there that really do a great job with their social media but just don't have time for the email so we offer Cairo emails separately a la carte for those docs that were just like that or if you come on board with a smart chiropractor, you get Chiro emails with within that. So all the tools are out there. These are all the questions that I received over the last 10 years of kind of, you know, being in the chiropractic space and speaking and traveling just the same as as you have. We start to hear the same questions come up quite frequently. And a lot of it was, how do I, how can I generate referrals from other healthcare providers? That's where the evidence-based chiropractor, in my own pain points in that practice, you know, that's where that started. And then the expansion of that to the consumer side and the refinement of it, And just this past year adding in the email component was something that took us a long time because we wanted to make it awesome and perfect and I think we got there
1: yeah wonderful and so for all of our listeners if you head on over to adiomedia.com forward slash podcast you'll be able to find the episode with Jeff and I there and on all the podcast notes I'll have links to each of those as well as many of the other things that we've spoken about today so Jeff, you have gone above and beyond today. I I feel like we probably could easily spend another two or three hours chatting through all of this. But what I'm hoping is that so often for so many of our listeners, marketing can become overwhelming. And for some of you, that idea of reaching directly out, you know, to the practitioners will really excite you. It'd be something that you can sink your teeth in. And for others of you will be, no, look, I really want to go this, you know, I've got this enormous number of inactive patients who I've helped in the past, but have just disappeared. You know, there's a pathway through there, whether, you know, there's enough that we've talked about today to get you started. And if you want help, then Jeff is the man to go to then, of course, we haven't really even touched on it. I think we might need to do a round two of, you know, communicating straight through the social platforms. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of content. I'm sure you can work at how to extrapolate that as well. So, Jeff, thanks for being so incredibly generous uh, with your wisdom today. Any final thoughts before we say goodbye?
0: My... my bi- the world needs the care that your listeners give. So get out there, be that leader in your community, get out there, find your voice, take action. That is the most important thing. As natural healthcare providers, conservative healthcare providers, we have so much to offer the world, but a lot of us get trapped in the four walls of our practice. So think big, get out there, have fun, take some chances along the way, and make sure you're always serving your community, putting the patient first. When you do that, you are on the right road to success, in my opinion, no doubt about
1: it. Well, Jeff, I can't add to that any further. Jeff, thanks for all that you do. Keep saving lives. And thanks for joining us on the Marketing Your Practice podcast. See you soon, mate. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come and check out the Community Influencer Program. It's my monthly coaching program where we take all this material and I'll work one-on-one with you to apply, implement, systematize, and help guide you and your practice to the next level. Now, you can join me on over at adiomedia.com forward slash join. That's adiomedia.com forward slash join. I'd love to see you in there.